Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week we welcome Dr. Janelle Blunt. And we have a really awesome conversation about how kids learn. We focus on um, you know, what the research is telling us about how students learn. We talk about what, stra- what study strategies promote lasting, meaningful learning. And we talk about how can ev- evidence-based strategies like retrieval practice be incorporated into classroom activities. It's a very practical episode and one that I really appreciated uh, as I think about even just for my own kids at home, as well as teaching my students is how do we teach in a way where kids can really master the learning versus just master it for a short time for a quick test uh, and avoid cramming um, and teach kids in a way where they're just constantly learning and embracing failure. That's one thing that I've noticed uh, with my students as well as with uh, my kids is that they seem so scared to fail all the time. And what retrieval practice can do is help kids kind of embrace learning uh, with the expectation of you're not going to get it perfect every time. And the whole goal is not for perfection. It's constant growth. And so this is a great conversation. If you're fascinated with how people learn, as well as looking for uh, a really great practice to help kids master content and learn better, this is a conversation you'll enjoy. So as always, thank you for supporting this podcast. We greatly appreciate your support uh, as you listen Please forward this to anybody you think needs it. Have you subscribed already? Thank you. If you haven't, please hit the subscribe button so we can continue to um, make more impact. Um, Again, enjoy the episode. I really had a a fun time talking to Dr. Blunt. All right. We're ready to go. Dr. Blunt, thank you so much for making time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as we've talked before, our first question is the same for everybody. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? My job is to help you learn how to learn better. So I am an associate professor at a Midwestern university. My name is Janelle Blunt. I, I think first and foremost, I'm an educator. So what I, I, I teach in the classroom, what that looks like is I'm teaching a variety of uh, the science of psychology and learning classes like cognitive psychology, memory, um, but I'm also teaching some other classes like interpersonal skills. And then part of my work is is research, what actually works in the classroom. I'm interested not just in what we feel like is a good idea for studying, but what's actually going to get you that long-term meaningful learning, not just for the exam, but for life in general. So where did this, and I'm going to use a strong word, so it may or may not be that, but where did this obsession begin? Because as a former teacher, (laughs) yeah, so like I, 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 most of my friends who are like you have a PhD and are very passionate about a specific topic, I call it an obsession. I call it a healthy one, fortunately. (laughs) And so in this case, like, you know, you probably just like me and my wife, we have a lot of educator friends and we talk about, you know, some theories of learning and all that, but I feel like you're at a whole different level. So when did you become obsessed with this uh, question that you have? Yeah, I come from a long line of engineers. And when I went to college, I thought, oh, engineering, that's that's what I'm going to do. And I, my sister introduced me to a psychology class. And it was like, you can take the same approach that we do to things like building bridges and, and cars and apply that to the human mind. Like, that's wild. And, and it was also like, there's more to science than just like being in a lab and running different uh, kind of simulations Um in like the bench lab, there's actual like the scientific approach to things like how to learn and how to do better in, you know, as a freshman, I'm thinking how to do better in this class. I, I can yeah. not only read about how to do better in this class, but I can actually say, well, geez, 
I wonder, like, I'm doing this, uh, you're doing that. Well, which one's better and why? And that's, that's, here we are still, still going strong. So, you know, as an educator, when you say, you know, uh, I want to pay, I want to focus on strategies that are actually working instead of we just think they're working. How do you dig into that? How do we figure out, uh, or even feel free to go give us an example of something that is, we think is working, but it might not be and give us a better solution for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every learning based experiment I do, I throw in something that we call metacognitive judgments. And that's essentially thinking about thinking. And this is important because the choices that we make when we're studying for that exam is a lot based on our metacognition. So, uh, some of the work I've done and involves looking at like rereading versus something like retrieval practice, which is the main thing that I'm into. And so what we might do is uh, we give people a, a text like they would in a classroom and we have them do one of two things with it. We might say, okay, you're going to reread this. And we choose that strategy because that's what people do. If I, if I say you've got an exam, okay, great. I'm going to reread because that's what feels best. And then we give a second text and we say, All right, I want you to read this and then just tell me as much as you can remember without looking at the text. But before we give you the test, I'm going to say, how did that feel? What, how We have them make what we call a judgment of learning. Essentially, uh, do you feel confident about how much you learned or not so confident? And what we find is that things like rereading lead us to think that we're doing really well. Like, oh yeah, I've got this. But on the test, we actually see the opposite. So that's one way where we can think about like our metacognitive judgments. And I find this like pretty much across the board. People don't realize how powerful strategies like retrieval practice are. And instead, that's why a lot of students have this go-to of things like rereading or, or just tracing things in their book, but they're not actually that effective. So as you're talking, I, I you know, in preparation for our conversation, I tried to dive into much of your research as possible. And I, I came across, you know, a website that said, when we think about learning, we typically focus on getting information into students' heads. What if instead we focus on getting information out of students' heads? What does that mean to you? Because I, I feel like from as very simplistic, it's like, well, I'm, I'm still trying to get it out of their heads because they got to take an assessment. Like that, we, we know that the standardized tests are really important all across the country right now. So what's, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that, that is like, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, I've heard that. That's the thing that we say. Um, <laughs> When we think about learning and memory, there's really three stages, encoding, storage consolidation, and retrieval. And so much of learning is focused on that first stage, which is encoding, that's like the acquisition, like learning new memories. So things like reading a text. And we tend to save retrieval for things like uh, tests or you know things, uh, standardized tests. And, and so we only focus on that first step. And when, when people in the retrieval practice world say things like what you read, what, they, what they're getting at is um, don't just stop at encoding. Uh, yes, read the text, but now let's, let's do something with it. Don't read it again. Actually practice recalling it. Practice that third step as a way to learn rather than just using retrieval as an assessment because retrieval is so much more powerful than just knowing what's kind of in your head. When you retrieve something, you actually strengthen the memory for the things that you're retrieving. So each time you uh, think back to what you've learned, you're actually improving your learning in a really powerful way. Yeah. So let's let's talk about you know since you do a lot of practical research, like let's talk about that in a practical way. Uh, what you can describe it however you want. I'm just going to say uh, a typical classroom, right? Uh, not 
maximizing the potential of the retrieval practice uh, would look like what? Read a book, take a quiz, read a book, listen to a lecture, take a quiz. And you're suggesting what kind of shift to that kind of that flow of educating a kid. I'll tell you what I do in my neuroscience class. Now, this class is an especially useful example because in, in my university, we are every student has to take a science class. And for some students, and I think a lot of listeners could probably relate to this, like their students come in and they're like, ah, science, no, thank you. And so uh, it, it's a class where there's a lot of fear and anxiety. We, we, you mentioned the yep. synapse uh, and people are like, yee. And so in that class, what I do is I have them watch about an hour of videos before class. So um, I, I've condensed the points into a series of like five, 10 minute videos or however long. And when they come to class, I actually take the computer, it's in the front of the room and I turn it around and as they come in, I'm handing them dry erase markers. And I just say, all right, draw synapse. And they, they go to the board and they, it, and they don't really know. They can't really remember. Like they've watched it, but they haven't retrieved it yet. And, and we do this and we'll aim for three different correct retrievals throughout the period of an hour and 15 minutes. And by the time they leave, they're like lightning speed able to retrieve this information. So that's one way um, in an extreme example of how instead of just listening and giving us this false sense of learning, uh, they come in and they're actively engaging in retrieval and they love it. I mean, it, they're yeah. wrong at the beginning, but they learn that they learn from their mistakes. And there's so much out there that tells us, ah, don't make mistakes. Mistakes are wrong. But we need to we need to get over that in a safe way, because so much of a retrieval has been these high stakes. You know, your exam is the only time you might practice retrieval or you might think of like the SAT. And that's for so many people, the only time they've practiced retrieval. But retrieval can be low stakes. You know, head to the board, draw the synapse. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, back when I was a student years and years ago, uh, having pop quizzes was the closest thing that we yes. did to retrieval, right? <laughs> and there was still some like anxiety about it because it still mattered on your grade. What you're what you're encouraging is you want people to fail forward with the information, right? Versus uh, feel like get shut down of like, I got to walk in. Oh God, my pop quiz. I don't know. Then you get yeah. a zero. And then that just creates a, uh, kind of an anxiety loop for kids, especially. Whereas what you're saying is come in, try it. All right. Now you're going to learn what you didn't know again. We're going to, we're going to address it. And then, Hey, you know, turn the computer around or whatever. Let's redraw that. Uh, let's, let's practice that again. And so you're saying by the end of a, uh, a lesson, you can have some really powerful anchors in kids' minds that, yeah aren't just going to be about for a test, right? They're going to actually have learned the concept. Is that right? Yeah, they they actually, when I made this big switch from a lecture-based classroom, and there's nothing wrong with lectures, but um, uh, from primarily listening to actually practicing retrieval, I saw big jumps in their exam grades. But what I also see is I took some students to a conference in Evansville a couple of weeks ago, and there was a neuroscience presentation. And students who took that class you know, two or three years ago were like, oh my gosh, Dr. Blunt, like I get it. And I'm like, you do get it. Like it's, it's paying off, not just on the exam, but in something that's meaningful to them down the road. And that's really what we want as educators. We don't, I mean, we love it when they do well in the exams, but we really yeah. love it when they, they have that like elusive critical thinking and transfer. Like, and that's something that retrieval practice can help with. Yeah, that's the, uh, I, I was very fortunate to have an economics teacher uh, in high school who 
just encouraged me to learn. I had an econ teacher and an English teacher. Econ actually loved English teacher. I just wanted to pass her test because she was the hardest, you know, <laughs> teacher out there. But they both tried to get you to love learning for learning's sake, despite the grade. Yeah. But it was so hard because so many high achievers, I'm sure you see this at the college level, is that your kids, like the game is set up, get good grades, move on to the next accomplishment. Yeah. Are you guys, have you seen anything out there that's trying to fight that? We've had a lot of thought leaders that are talking about how do we rethink education so that kids can develop those entrepreneurial skills to fail forward, to keep trying, to keep thinking, and to retain learning, not just pass a test or get an A. Yeah, I think my my approach for that is thinking about things like when you use powerful learning strategies, you're, this might come across wrong, but like your intention doesn't matter. Right. Like if you intend to learn something five years from now versus just the exam, like if you're practicing retrieval and you're spacing your learning, it's going to stick. But if if you try really hard, you say like, ah, I want to learn this forever. But you just simply use mass practice and reread things back to back. Even if you intend to remember, it, it's not going to matter because you're not using the right strategies. Interesting. Uh, real quick before I ask you about some of the strategies. What are some of the other powerful research points? If there's somebody listening right now and says, all right, you know, Dr. Blunt, you seem smart. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in retrieval. Can you throw some research studies down or some just other facts down for folks that are kind of on the fence, not knowing if they want to jump into this practice or not, or not fully sure if they believe it or not? I love that because if you're listening and you haven't heard of retrieval practice before and you're like, ah, another person telling me what to do, why should I listen? Good question <laughs> exactly. it because this is this is exactly me my freshman year in college. And, and this realization of like, oh, I can I can set up studies and actually test this. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of research that that demonstrates that a retrieval practice is far more effective than other strategies. Um, so much that uh, a couple of my colleagues and I did um, a, a big review and we looked at all of the studies that have used retrieval practice, not just in the lab and a controlled setting, but in the wild, as I call it, in the classroom, anywhere from uh, med students to um, elementary kids using retrieval practice. And we have like, there's a, there's a nice sizable effect size across all these different studies. I can't remember, it was like 40 something, 40 to 50 studies that we looked at. And almost all of them found these effects of retrieval practice in this, this powerful way. So uh, as people are you know, trying to dip their toe into water and retrieval practices, what are some easy to implement practices that you've seen move the needle, right? As opposed to, I mean, I, you know, I would, at the, at the highest level, I would want if, you know, if I were back in my schools, I'd want my myself and my teachers to be lesson planning with intentionality around that. But until we build it up there, what are some good practices to use along the way? I'm, I'm so excited for this answer because it's basically keep doing what you're doing. Just take <laughs> away the material. Okay. I'm not asking you to come like uh, flip your classroom or like even change the shape of your desks or learn some new strategy or go through some training. Um, all you've got to do is do what you normally do. Just remove the text. So what I mean is, okay, what is it that you do? When I when I ask students um, before I get my hands on them, <laughs> what how do you study? And they say reread, and I say great. Let's let's put the twist on it. So you read it once. Now cover it up. Tell me what did you just read? I don't remember. Okay, we'll spend a little more time. It's going to take effort, but once you yep. put that effort in, you'll be able to start retrieving things. Okay, now you can go back and look and see what you missed. 
So you've got, we're, we're doing the same kind of thing. We're just doing it without the text. Well, I like making concept maps. Okay, uh, great. Make your concept map, but this time do it without the text. So I've done work where um, it, it doesn't matter if you make a concept map or write a paragraph. The thing that matters is, are you doing it with the text or without the text? So what did the teacher tell me versus like play back that video again? So just keep doing what you're doing. Just do it without referencing back to the text. Yeah. How do you find that? And maybe this is, it's probably different for everybody. You know, I'm talking to a researcher, so I'm sure it is different for everybody. But uh, how do you find that middle ground of teaching input versus output, right? Like trying to figure out uh, just kind of like a, a how, how, as a teacher, is there a mirror I can put in front of my face to figure out? if I'm doing enough retrieval practices or I'm doing too much retrieval practices or too many retrieval practices. I don't know. The more, the merrier. Um, uh, <laughs> that's what I've read. I, I mean, I literally, I've read exactly that. Just keep going, do them all. I'm like, oh, okay. That's interesting. I am on board with retrieval. So, I mean, again, like you can do just a little in my large lecture classes, it's as simple as every five or 10 minutes we pause. And I frame it sometimes as a game. Even I say, uh, this or that, what, what we talk about, say, the schools of psychology, like structuralism versus functionalism. And then I say, what would you be? And so it's actually a retrieval activity because they have to, in order to decide, am I a functionalist or a structuralist, they have to remember what they are. So it could be something yeah. like that. It could be some clicker questions, which I have <laughs> clicker questions that yeah. I use that they can answer multiple choice questions. Um, so it doesn't, not every Never, not every class has to be this radical, uh, okay, to the boards. Uh, and most teaching involves some kind of summary, right? Last class, we talked about this. Well, instead of me yep. saying, last class, we talked about these three points, use that time to say, you tell me what happened last class. Everyone yep. writes it down or uh, let's do it out loud. It doesn't matter if you're retrieving on paper, in your head, out loud. What matters is that you're actually putting in that effortful learning and practicing retrieval. So uh, just to give the anxiety or the pressure valve release for people, what just glue this in my head, how do I decide if something's a good retrieval practice or not? Hmm. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, well, that's, that's the beauty of it is that any kind of putting in that effort, if it feels hard, that probably means you're doing it right. Um, mm. So uh, the other nice thing is, as I think about people with anxiety and it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. Um, there's evidence that when you practice retrieval, your anxiety around that material decreases. So it's actually lowering the anxiety. I mean, it's just got everything good going for it, right? Like lower anxiety, yeah. higher grades, longer transfer. Uh, so the, the biggest question I get from students is how long should I wait? And you really want to give it a, a decent amount of time because at first, especially if you're new to retrieval, I say, I mean, you can even do this now if you're listening. What have I said so far? Can you remember, you know, two or three points? And, and you might just say, you might pause the podcast and be like, huh, I don't, I don't know. Well, wait a little longer <laughs> and then like, give yourself a little time um, and things will start coming to you. Then you can go back and listen. So don't go back and say, oh, I want to hear that again. No. First, put that effort in, see what you can remember, then go back. Yeah, and make it okay for some folks who it does take a little bit longer, a more intentional focus to, you know, they may not have listened with yeah. all their intent the first time. Yeah. That's okay. We're trying to help totally. you prepare. And so if that's part of what helps with the anxiety is like, if I don't know, I don't want to admit that I don't know. And I don't want to admit that like, I feel either stupid or I worry that you think that 
I wasn't listening, even if I was. And so that just creates a whole uh, cycle there. And so to your point, I think there's having that as a best practice releases that anxiety, right? Yeah. And there's also when you're, the more retrieval you you use, the more engaged students are. So, uh, you know, we, we think, oh, well, what if they didn't, I don't want to put them on the spot. Well, they actually like being put on the spot when they have this chance to, to be wrong and to actually see their improvement. I mean, I love it that first day of neuroscience and they're like, oh my gosh, is this happening? And then they leave, like they, they know each other better. They feel uh, like they've walked away with tangible knowledge and they can see the, the, the difference an hour and 15 minutes has made in their learning. That's awesome. So, uh, are there, is there, is there any way you see my three boys behind me in the pictures? Uh, is there any way as a parent who may not be intimately engaged in all of the learning they're doing, I'm, I'm engaged for sure, but I, you know, I don't know all the concepts that are being taught all the time. Is there a way that I can start practicing if my teacher is not doing it, that I can start using retrieval with my kids around the subjects they're learning? Absolutely. That's, uh, that's as simple as, um, you know, tell me three things that you learned, or if they have a, a, a worksheet, okay, what do you think are the, the most important things? Or, and you can even make it, I'm looking here at the age, maybe scale it down a bit and be like, what was your favorite? What was your least favorite? Which would you, if you know, of the two things you talked about in class, what would you like to talk about again? Uh, just anything that you can do to get them to think back. And, and one thing that I see students do is I, I ask them a question, especially when when I'm new to them and what they want to do is they want to give me the right answer. So they get their notebook out. And I was like, ah, you be wrong. Make, you know, you might make mistakes. That's fine. I want to see what you remember. So encouraging them to think back and retrieve something rather than just like read it back to you. Yep. That's great. Uh, so if this seems one incredibly easy to implement two very powerful my question is, what is holding back educators all across the U.S. and world of really diving deep into this practice? Metacognitive judgments. So, again, when you um, when you reread and do things that are less effective, your judgments of learning, those metacognitive assessments, the thinking about thinking says, oh, yeah, I've got this. It feels really familiar. But when we're practicing retrieval, it, it feels hard. And we're like, oh, I don't know anything. This isn't working. Um, the other, think of it like um, if you're training to do push-ups, you could do push-ups on your knees or you could do the full push-ups. And um, so say you wanted to do 20 push-ups. Well, if you only ever did them on your knees, you're actually not going to be as strong as if you did 20 push-ups like the, the full way. And so I think in the same way, it's like, the, the more effort we put into learning, the better it is. But in that moment, it's like, this feels hard. I don't, yeah. I, I shouldn't do this. Like rereading makes me feel good. Uh, drawing pictures with the text makes me feel good. But this whole retrieval thing, like it feels bad. I'm sitting here in silence for 10 seconds and nothing is coming to my mind. It's, it's not, uh, I shouldn't do this. So it's the biggest thing that I think gets in the way. It doesn't take any more time. It doesn't take, uh, actually, I think if you do it right, it takes less time, but your metacognition is, is screaming at you saying like, do something easier, do something easier. Yeah. Well, I'm fascinated. My wife gets back from her uh, chief of staff conference. We're going to uh, dig through some of this because I'm curious uh, how she would judge her teachers and her schools by this. Um, 
if people are interested and they're trying to learn more about you or more about uh, retrieval practices, where's the best place for people to go and dig deep with you? Yes, retrievalpractice.org. Dr. Pooja Agarwal <laughs> has uh, as a website. I think maybe you're familiar with it based on your reaction. Maybe uh, great, great resources, guides made specifically for teachers. So she's done all of the legwork and is there to say like, here's the results. Here's what you can actually do. And then she's got the resources there to say like, look, I'm not just some brando saying like, trust me, I got a good grading class. So you should do what I do. And it's actually referring us back to empirical studies that, that demonstrate the effectiveness of a variety of techniques. Yeah, that's awesome. Is she the one that was at the TEDx? Uh, she's done that. Okay, I'm pretty sure because I had a friend come back and say, she's awesome. You should yes, listen to this. It's the first time I'd never heard about it. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's who it was. So I'm, I bet I could Google the TEDx one on there because she's she was fascinating. And my this friend doesn't often call me to say this person is great. So it's pretty fun to hear someone say this is, it seems simple. And that's, I think that was a powerful part that uh, she called me with is seems simple, but it, feels like it has so much impact. And I love those things that just seem so simple and kind of uh, so almost common sense, but not common practice. And it's just awesome that you guys are highlighting that for us. All right. So real quick, we're going to end up with our rapid fire questions before I give you your day back. Um, So be ready. Okay. Uh, First question, what's a habit or discipline that you use on a daily basis to be the best version of yourself? Exercise. When people say, uh, how can I improve my memory? Uh, they're expecting, you know, like some kind of answer. And my, my answer is usually like, are you getting enough exercise? And they're like, wait, what? Who are you? Exercise. <laughs> it's great for your mood, for your learning. Can't can't emphasize it enough. Uh, are you a morning or afternoon person? Um, Mid-morning. Mid None of those. Not that like 6 a.m. kind of person, but definitely <laughs> a morning person. My, my wife, for like, we've been married over, I guess, 11, 12 years now, uh, has never been a morning person. But about three weeks ago, she decided she's going to start doing a 4.30 a.m. class with uh, a friend of hers. And I'm, I'm a morning person, so I'm generally up then. But I've, I've been so impressed. Uh, but you got to find your time. You know, like if it's, that's not your time, then don't do it because it won't be as joyful. And you might not be able to stick with it as long, right? Absolutely. I've got like a pull-up bar in the department and I've even got the president (laughs) of the university in here doing pull-ups in between classes. So that's hysterical. All right. Uh, What is a book or I see a number of books back there, but what's a book or books that you've either read recently or throughout your career that you often find yourself recommending to others? I, I guess if I were to like operationally define impact of a book based on how many times I've bought it. It's probably this this book called The Discussion Book and it's 50 Great Techniques. And I have bought this book like six times. And anytime I meet someone that is an educator, uh, I'm like, here you go, take this book because it gives these, these strategies that you can use that to get to avoid that situation when you walk into class and you say it's discussion day and then like everyone looks at you and you look at them and they look at you and, and nothing happens. And there's not that kind of dynamic exchange. So there's 50 different ways you can shake things up. And I have, I've bought it for like so many people. I've one at home, one here, I bought one for my mom. <laughs> so that's awesome. All right. Um, the next question is again, we live in St. Louis. I know that you guys have a double or triple a team there in Indy. Um, we, but we like the major leagues here. And so my kids are obsessed with walk-up songs if you had a motivational walk-up song, what would it be? Oh man, this is going to be a, a left field answer. Um, it would be like box air on the G string, which is, it's actually like the opposite of what you might think of. But when I'm yeah. doing something like skiing or giving a presentation and I'm really nervous, like I don't need to get pumped up. I need to calm the flip down. And so <laughs> having a song that's like, 
and then I just feel a lot more at ease uh, rather than like pumped up. I think that's a first here. Uh, no one's ever asked me uh, mine. I mean, mine would change by the week probably, but <laughs> I generally find myself when I was playing sports that I looked for stuff to calm me down yeah. more than pump me up because I felt yeah. like I was already revved at a 10 yes, or too high yes. and I needed to come down to be fully present or else I was going to be too nervous or too amped. Yeah. So I, I I identify with that strongly. I don't know if I'd say the same music, but I definitely identify <laughs> with bringing it down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. You know, you're someone who's around, this could be even students that you're around. You're around people who are thought leaders, who are thinking outside the box. I'm just curious, what's the best piece of leadership advice, life advice, change advice that you've come across recently that you just have to share with others? Yeah, I think it would somewhere in between like be authentic and and laugh like in my retrieval classes like we are laughing all the time, you know, like, but I really think that people crave authenticity. They don't, they don't want someone who looks to have it all together. Um, I've gone on the board and, and during research uh, retrieval sessions and misspelled retrieval before, which like, if you know me, is like, yeah, it's not too shocking, but like make mistakes, like be authentic. I, I, I don't have it all together. None of us have it all together, uh, but people it can tell when you are not being authentic, when you're being disingenuine, that is a big turnoff for people. So I try my best to not, not take things too seriously and to be the most authentic I can be. That's great. Well, I, I appreciate you making time. I appreciate you're someone that you can tell. I think you said this is one of your first podcasts. So that's interesting because you <laughs> seem very comfortable and very genuine. So I appreciate you bringing your whole self here and I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of impact your research and your, your uh, students who are learning research continue to make on the world. So thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great day. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.